All us. Okay, like cool. Travel. I think oh, we're hey. we're live. I think we're, I think we're live on Montez Press Radio. Hello. Live. Great to be back with our friends at Montez Press Radio. Uh, welcome to Art in Displacement. There the previous show. Indeed. Thank you. Artists for Displacement or something like that. <laughs> Check it out on the Montez Press Radio website and the archive for this and all of the other shows. Um, this show, however, is TNT. Welcome to another another month. Um, if you've never heard TNT Radio before, uh, what myself and my co-host Ton like to do is uh, explore and celebrate full-length albums from across musical genres, eras, communities. Um, we feel like this format is lost in today's very algorithmically oriented musical landscape. So we like to take a uh, take a walk down memory lane each month uh, and dig into an album's story and its impact on society and time. So I'm one of your hosts, Tim, and my other host, Ton. Hello. <laughs> Ton's in Brooklyn. Against displacement. That's what it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> against displacement. I totally up for a second. It's all good. We'll 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 get it right eventually. It's season three. <laughs> we're still we're still easing into this. <laughs> Uh, today, uh, Ton is broadcasting from Brooklyn, New York, and I am broadcasting from my parents' basement in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> this is our show, and today we're kicking off uh, the first of our two-part series, Compilations and Discovery. And to do that, we're going to discuss the 1980 compilation album, Rodney on the Rock, Volume 1. Big budget. This is Brooke Shields, and I got my radio station on for Rodney on the Rock. to tnt a lot of emotions if you're not awake yet you are for now probably <laughs> <laughs> three o'clock 3 p.m new york time 
And thank you really to Brooke Shields for introing the album for us. We really appreciate it. Um, thank you for everybody listening and tuning in. This is exciting. And big time. This is our first compilation album. Um, and for those of you who, you know, I, I just listed the intro. We like to celebrate full-length albums. What the, what the hell are we doing here? Compilation album is a is an art amongst itself, uh, yeah. we feel. So we thought it would be, it'd be fun to dive into a couple. Um, first song that you heard, apart from Brooke Shields giving the intro to the album, uh, you heard the song Bloodstains by uh, LA-based hardcore band, punk band, uh, Agent Orange. So, um, kind of so this, uh, sorry, go ahead. Kind of amazing, just Brooke Shields just being in there. Oh, yeah. But yeah, <laughs> Set up no. Yeah. Um, so uh, this album is a compilation album. Uh, it's a bit of a unique compilation album in that it actually ROQ is the part of the call sign for a radio station based out in LA uh, called K Rock. Um, and Rodney is uh, was a popular host on the radio station for a number of years. So this is uh, one of three volumes that he put together. Of bands that uh, he liked that he played on the radio, um, so hence Rodney on the Rock. So released in 1980 on uh, Posh Boy Records. So yeah, just to lay the groundwork is, a little bit. Yeah, this is a compilation. Uh, I guess record labels would do compilations all the time, and but this was interesting only to us because Rodney was a <laughs> disc jockey, like a radio disc jockey, like you said, online on one of the biggest rock stations in uh, LA. The Hollywood yeah. LA scene, maybe time periods, maybe 70s, 80s, right? He was really big in the 80s and 90s. He knew everybody. He got his start on Hollywood and like Sunset Boulevard, probably late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. The mystery and whatnot. But there's also a documentary about him. There's yeah, a plethora of celebs and musicians that know him. He's like the unspoken. I've noticed in the documentary, he was uh, he uh, he always used the word godhead. <laughs> yeah, I know, like the unspoken godhead of like the Hollywood <laughs> scene, right? Yeah, absolutely. The, the so, documentary is called uh, "The Mayor of the Sunset Strip" right. to give you a sense of how he was like sort of sort of viewed uh, amongst yeah. the he, Hollywood and music. Uh, He's the guy that knew everybody somehow. <laughs> yeah. Not not because of drugs, not for well, maybe sometimes for girls, but yeah, yeah. because he enjoyed the music. Yeah. He was just a fan. Yeah. Um his his name, for those of you who are curious, is uh Rodney Bingenheimer. Um <laughs> <laughs> and uh he came to K Rock in uh nineteen seventy six. Um K-Rock almost shut down, actually, in 1974. Uh, the manager quit. The entire staff walked out and <laughs> almost shut the station down. Uh, they basically, the FCC ordered K-Rock to go to the airwaves or surrender the station's license. So they basically uh, got rolling again, uh, very bare bones style. Apparently, they were broadcasting initially from their transmitter location, uh, then followed by a penthouse suite at the Pasadena Hilton Hotel. Uh, <laughs> oh, so. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's kind of wild because this is heyday of radio, and I guess I don't know what they were playing before, but just radio in general was everywhere then. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like because they started out 
kind of scrappy in 76. Like I think they had a lot of uh, creative license to play all kinds of stuff, um, especially a lot of music that was not really being played on like top 40 radio right. at the time. Um, and so if you look at the, the makeup of this particular album, it kind of gives you a sense of what Rodney was interested in at the time and also what wasn't really on the radio elsewhere, uh, otherwise. Um, you want to just read out the track list? Yeah, okay. yeah. So we have uh, we heard Agent Orange by Bloodstains. Uh, the Adolescents have their classic song Amoeba. However, uh, this version of Amoeba is my favorite version of Amoeba. Uh, the album version is not as fast, <laughs> so I don't like it as much. <laughs> okay. Getting picky there. Okay, I sure am. Must be into the scene. <laughs> uh, let's see. We also have Wild in the Streets by the Circle Jerks. Uh, Tragedies by the band UXA, which is playing in the background right now. Uh, Pushing Too Hard by the band Clan. Uh, no Values by Black Flag. Ever heard of them? Uh, the Outback by Rick L. Rick. Right Time by Crowd. Uh, I Don't Want to Hold You by David Microwave. Uh, Wild by The Nuns. Furry Friend by Fender Buddies. Lori's Lament by The Vidiots. TV Love by The Simple Tones. And Surprise by the band New York. Uh, this clocks in at a robust 34 minutes. <laughs> all these songs yeah. are like two minutes long. So yeah, crazy. I was like, all right, I'm going to listen to this and then, you know, have like an hour to go and <laughs> like only 30 minutes. So I had to listen to it twice. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> just want to add to that list uh, of credits is uh, the compilation producer who probably helped produce the actual tangible record was Robbie Fields. And then, Design was by Dan Segura, mastered by Stan Ross. Photographer was Jules Bates, and the tech technical advisor was David Hines. That was all Discogs. So, um, yeah, punk. Uh, what, what would you say? Like a new wave punk compilation? Yeah, new wave post punk. I mean, like punk. Um, you know, sort of hardcore vibes on here as well with black flag and circle jerks yeah he, um, he's the man he's the one he's the, what it seems like he is the one that broke a lot of fucking artists yeah especially uh, out west where it wasn't yeah you know a, a lot yeah. of these bands that you read about him breaking uh the ramones blondie for instance were, were bigger in new york but right. it wasn't as transferable as a thing as it is today in new york and la you couldn't just all of a sudden hear them uh it's sort of organically so yeah it's uh i guess the hollywood scene i guess he got he gained he got his like pretty much his quote-unquote fame we'll probably discuss about that later but uh in the 80s but he really got a start in the late 60s and 70s and hollywood yeah. was like, different then hollywood was like coming out of this or i would say america which was like coming out of this like or moving towards this like free love movement yeah yeah uh, totally and you know i think um in one of the documentaries it says something like it was like the next stop like going to paris after world war one hmm. or something That's like that. it's like where all the artists and actors and actresses like just culminated and went to just you know just to be seen and make something of themselves yeah and share it too but I'll share that later. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, yeah, and, and you know that's like a good segue into like Rodney's sort of story, which is his mom dropped him off in Hollywood to get an autograph yeah. from like a famous actress, I think. Connie Stevens. Connie Stevens, thank you. Um, 60s. And then dropped him off and left, <laughs> and he like 
figured it out from there. Yeah, he, his mom pretty much abandoned him on the street of probably Beverly Hills or something like that. But yeah. what's crazy is how did he get to this point? How did he become this person? Because throughout the whole documentary, he was the, not the most outgoing and most extroverted, friendly in the sense of having a lot of friends type person. Yeah. He was yeah. very, he was a kid that got made fun of. He was a loner. He was, uh, that's what the documentary portrays him as. So yeah, and he's like um, he's he's pretty small in stature. He's pretty like you said, like soft spoken. Yeah. He's very unique in yeah. his style. In his yeah, hair. he looks like the, one of the guys from the monkeys. Obviously, yeah, totally. He was so, actually uh, fun yeah. fact. He he was a stand-in for Davy Jones <laughs> yeah, in an episode of the monkeys. <laughs> what I found so interesting is that okay, his mom leaves him, and unfortunately, you know, she was did the best that she could, and but like needed to just let go at the age of 16 for him but what's funny is this his mom supported him on like all the sort of collecting and stuff that's that's what's cool and his mom was also like a celeb autograph hound as they say it like yeah searching for you know autographs from like celebrities and his father was like was into hollywood but supposedly never got too didn't have the balls to like get a job in Hollywood. That's pretty yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, pretty absentee. Yeah, so he was kind of a dickhead in the doc. Sorry, dad. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so growing up knowing that you know you were so close to this like famous celebrity, um, I guess that's a word. Yeah, celebrity. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and not being accepted amongst your peers growing up, you naturally and being abandoned by, you know, your mother in a sense. Yeah. Which he eventually reunited, like, you know, a few years later, six years later, or something like that. Yeah. You kind of, you know, hold on to what is familiar. Right. 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 And you know, I think you know, his mom being interested in it, him being interested in it as a as a young boy, it was like, yeah. what else am I gonna do? You know, it was like kind of a natural fit for him to start to get involved in this industry one way or another in fame and like being a celebrity or, yeah. or working in the what do you call it the the showbiz <laughs> the biz the had biz. you ever heard of this guy prior to i've this? never heard of this guy ever in my entire yeah it's interesting so nuts. i i had only because i knew of this compilation um shout out to my friend uh john brady who told me about this back in the day cool. um which is like a whole that's like a you know speaking of like discovery that you know we can, we'll talk about that <laughs> later but like um i certainly did not know like any of his rodney's story um before sort of researching for the show and everything um so it's like it's pretty incredible <laughs> you want to you just like give a nod to like the bands that he broke yeah absolutely you want me to read a list of it or yeah if you have a list go ahead. like i have a double list i have like one list from like you know what it is and then another list from like the 90s nice you know, okay go ahead and I'll read the, okay the the first list is pretty much like he broke the ramones in la yeah look like van halen he broke uh blondie he actually played in blondie nirvana sonic youth uh coldplay yeah sex pistols he's like like whenever you get a tape from your friend or like you hear about a new song Everybody heard about the new song from this guy first. Totally. Totally. 
somehow he just segued into that, right? Like, yeah. I guess he was working. He made friends with Sonny and Cher in the 60s, but that's where it started. But I don't want to get too ahead of myself. <laughs> no, he was like, he basically like served as like an assistant for Sonny and Cher for a number of years. He was like, um, Part of the part of their little family like at one point they like kind yeah. of looked out for him yeah i guess you you get abandoned and you go to sunset strip you should figure it out <laughs> just figure it out and then you're like kind of i don't know his his demeanor is very like based on the, the documentary was kind of like oh you just got abandoned by your mom so he had all these like women just corralling him to like take care of him and like give him places to stay and stuff like that and but, yeah, amongst, but amongst with, other things. <laughs> yeah, uh, but within that, he created a character that was not what he grew up with. He he re, he transformed himself, still with his essence of like timid, but like true personality. But like somehow, in the documentary, there's some people that just he's reflecting you at the same time as he's that you're reflecting him or something like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, and Brooke Shields does like the little radio call sign, uh, radio tag. Uh, but like she's in the documentary like willingly and like uh he was he was genuinely friends with like a lot of these types of <laughs> random celebrities. I think he came off as like a genuine type of person and wasn't you know throwing his own shit around and like he was like the it guy. Yeah, but he wasn't like in your face like I'm so right. much cooler than you. He's like I'm oh, just this guy who likes or to be in the scene. Or was he? Because Oh really? Okay. Yeah, because in the documentary <laughs> I got this feeling that he had a big hierarchy about like who's the in crowd or not the in crowd. Oh, interesting. You know? So he was very all about like, I'm with the band type vibe. Like if you're not with the band, don't hang out with like, you know, if you're not it, it's kind of like studio 54 vibe. Yeah. Or, like there's a lot of parallels to Andy Warhol factory vibe. Like if you don't yeah. have it, whatever it is, you're not getting in the club. Hmm. That's interesting. Like, he, he was like this first barrier slash, People use the word groupie, fan, person that always was around and knew everybody and knew yeah. every band, which is so wild. Like, yeah. you know, like people, you go to the club or you go to like a concert, you always want to try to get to VIP. He was always in VIP. He was like, totally. He was like Mr. VIP. Yeah. Yeah. And there's all these clips of him in the documentary um, introing different bands, like all kinds of bands, X, not, Joan, not Joan Jett. Yeah. Yeah, like just like they wanted him to like do the intro for their set, which <laughs> yeah, is like, dude. it's so nuts. <laughs> well, I guess it started because he was like, you know, he had this, he made friends. He was like a follow. He had a following of some sort. He was like a scene kid in yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah. Totally. Somehow loved music and really enjoyed music and got a PR job right. In the yeah. Job with Sonny and Cher, and they just kind of took him under his wing. Yeah. Which was kind uh, of amazing. And then he became friends with David Bowie, as one does. He broke David Bowie. He, <laughs> David, he introduced, what is it? He pretty much introduced David Bowie to Hollywood. That's nuts. Yeah. Like, and in the documentary, they're like, they're like hanging out and shooting the shit. Yeah, he went to London and like discovered David Bowie. And then like, next thing you know, Bowie's in Hollywood hanging out with him. Yeah. And so in like basically friends with these people in a sense, like, yeah, he's yeah. like, I don't know what you would just say respected or another word for respected. I don't know what that is, but I think it, there's gotta be some respect there because yeah. otherwise if you're a celebrity and you like, you know, what are you getting from this person? Otherwise, if you don't, yeah. you know, if you don't genuinely enjoy them, 
then like I guess the other dimension of that is like what do I get from this person right. so like but it feels like Bowie doesn't need that you know when like they show him like in the 90s like talking yeah. about him yeah. Bowie doesn't need to do that <laughs> he's he's a genuine person what I've come to like realize just from watching this documentary and like reading a few things like he was a genuine person who really enjoyed music yeah it was like a happy place for him yeah you know he found himself in these tunes and totally and he allowed other people to find themselves in these songs yeah but he was just there i wouldn't say he was there at the right time at the right place at the right time but maybe he was this is one of those things like he's just doing it just because he likes it and he he likes to see other people like achieve i guess and like, yeah you know absolutely and before he starts working at k-rock um he actually comes back from england and creates a club maybe built a yeah. built a club it's called mm-hmm. uh rodney bingenheimer's english disco <laughs> yeah. which helped you so know promote up. bowie uh uh iggy pop for instance um i have a I really guess... funny story about that but okay let it uh, roll maybe maybe track we'll play okay we'll play or track. i do or you or you yeah. want to hear the let's play the track let's play the track <laughs> and let's Okay, perfect. Um, so we're going to hear uh, the Outback by the band Rick L. Rick here on TNT Radio. I never saw your face 
different that song is different compared to compilation i know that's why i picked it because it's different from the different yeah totally i like that song i like the 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 keys in the background it's like so like haunting (laughs) yeah (laughs) i love it (laughs) yeah totally um so that was the outback oh sorry that was uh rick l rick with the outback on 1980s rodney on the rock volume one compilation album so he he opened this clubs right he opens rodney bingenheimer's english disco (laughs) right so this is like before disco actually this is like er, late 60s yeah and pretty much it was hilarious because i find out that like he had like a whole vip area but the vip area was like this small little like propped up little area with one velvet table and a like single a velvet table <laughs> yeah and it was only one table and if you it was so hilarious because i've experienced this so many times like going out in new york <laughs> it's just hilarious because you're walking up and like there's a velvet rope and then like you literally just want to get on the other side that takes like two steps and then once you're in there you're on the same level as everybody else <laughs> so like the idea was well he was playing on like this really interesting idea of like you know importance and exclusivity exclusivity and stuff like that so if you were like if you could get in that vip area you're you're hot shit (laughs) that's how it is still you know or it's true whenever i was going out like we would go to the smith's night or we would go to like whatever bottle service night well there's bottle service now everywhere every table is like a bottle now but like before (laughs) In New York, I'm sure LA and everything, it's like there's always that one little table or two little tables that are like, who are those people? Why are they so important? Blah, blah, blah. And like, if I can know them and, and all this stuff, it, it goes through your head mentally. And somehow he just played on that. He played, he made that part of his personality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I try to keep that same mentality when I, you know, when you're in a dive bar and you find like a good yeah. corner, <laughs> corner in, table. In, yeah. Like but, your mom's basement. Yeah, kind of like my mom's basement. <laughs> it's very similar. It's very exclusive. I'm the only one in here. Not a big deal. <laughs> Another fun story about uh, the English disco club that he opened. 
1973, Iggy Pop and the Stooges played there. Um, and on August 19, August 11th, 1974, uh, they basically improvised a quote unquote play called Murder of the Vil- Murder of the Virgin, uh, in which Iggy was whipped by guitarist Ron Ashton, who was dressed in a Nazi uniform. And then the performance climaxed with Iggy repeating he's slashing his own chest with a knife. Oh so God. go back and watch some Iggy Pop that's, performances. That's the shit was Hollywood wild. Days, dude. That's the ho- was wild. That's crazy Hollywood. <laughs> Whenever you think of Hollywood and like people like have this idea of Hollywood, this is like the seed of that. Oh, yeah. Like he was at the seed of like what Hollywood, like obviously a Hollywood and L.A. have always had this glamorous like thing you know yeah even yeah. in the 30s 40s and stuff like that but like you think about getting discovered but you just go somewhere and get discovered this is this is where it started yeah mid 70s yeah. like through the mid 80s like yeah. i think that's like a big part of that for sure yeah <laughs> this everybody who's like he's met like is the seed of this like whole subculture subgenre that were against what like Olivia Newton-John and the Eagles and like <laughs> who else was like big at that time. Totally. You totally. Um, there's a good quote that sort of is about that. Um, let me find that quote. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's late early seventies. He gets Sonny and Cher. He becomes like, they kind of become his surrogate parents, but also he becomes their publicist. Um, here's a share quote. Um, it's oh, for for LA, share said that this was probably quoted like 10 years ago, maybe. Um, she said that LA is a place where you could be different and not know exactly what the trajectory is, hmm. how something might happen if you just show up. Like, like, there's another person that said, like, Kim Bowley, he was like a producer that was a very like. I don't know what you call it. Sex maniac producer. Yeah, that guy. He was in the documentary too. He's a very misogynist kind of oh, guy. Yeah. What he said was like, you go down and people have just gotten off the bus in their Iowa beauty or tragedy and pull car card, either card or car up and say, hey, you're new in town. It was like that kind of small, <laughs> it seemed like, right? It's yeah. like, like counterculture of like, like you're going against like, the corporate buttoned up 50s 60s you know proper old school vibes and just kind of letting everything go and not yeah and i think that's like kind of what he brought to this radio station and you know subsequently to these compilations um writer and historian barney hoskins uh who wrote a book about la music uh calls rodney on the rock part of a general revolt against what might call the bloated Eagles style superstar bands of the mid seventies. Uh, he continues, the timing was perfect. Uh, here was this little station in Pasadena Sunday nights. Rodney became the real kind of flag bearer, a really, really important part of it all. Uh, part of that do it yourself, uh, indie seven inch resistance to stadium superstardom. I love that quote. Not only cause I think it describes Rodney and his sort of ethos, but it also slams the Eagles who suck. 
So fuck the Eagles. <laughs> we'll never do an Eagles uh, album, I guess. <laughs> uh, my dreams are broken. He's, uh, he also got props from Robert Plant for being like a sex symbol, which is yeah, cool. which is <laughs> wild. Robert Robert Plant, dude. <laughs> this is funny because he he has a Hollywood star on Hollywood Boulevard, and it's just like I've never personally heard of this guy, and I'm glad that I have. But like, you know, you hear of like English DJs like John Peel. Whenever right. you first mentioned this, I was like, oh, this is like John Peel. But no, this is like, do you think of radio DJs who are breaking artists and playing new music and not sticking the format? This guy had autonomy on what he played during his slot. Like the, yeah. the, the radio station didn't say anything. He didn't have to play his, I don't know what you call it, like his uh, merits or whatever. Right. There was no like big payola system driving yeah. what, what he was and was not playing. Yeah, exactly. He wasn't being swayed by that because he lives a very modest six-room apartment. Right. Uh, and six rooms is a lot, but still, <laughs> it's, it's not like big. But you know, he's yeah. not driving like a Mercedes or like around or anything. Right. Right. He got a star on the Hollywood Boulevard uh, in 2007, by the way. Um, and he also has a booth at Canner's Deli, a famous Jewish delicatessen in L.A., uh, dedicated to him by none other than TNT alum Nancy Sinatra. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, it's he, he just worked so much getting press for a bunch of bands. He just naturally fell into like, you know, I think personality has to do with a lot of it and like his upbringing and stuff and wanting to feel fit in and he pretty much made that that's crazy he like yeah. i don't know if that was his plan but i think he just really wanted to like put out good music and he was there for a lot of it yeah absolutely like everybody it's crazy it's like <laughs> the doors he like knew the doors yeah he had, like, david bowie demos yeah like there's a story uh about the doors and the beatles and then he like catered like one of like the doors's concerts or something like that yeah yeah and he brought like shrimp and then like the beatles just happened to be there and like he invited the beatles first before the doors <laughs> and i'm like dude that's fucked up <laughs> it's very hierarchical like that you know he's like well the beatles are more important sorry guys and this is like when the doors is just like coming up you know? yeah right <laughs> so but it's crazy hard. because you know he like had he broke this like he kind of went against like the you know 70s rock kind of country rock style that was mm -hmm. uh, you know dominating that that west coast music scene at the time and then started to play punk and new wave and glam yeah. and like yeah. you know actually attempted to like help these people get played um there's there's notes of him like apparently you could straight up knock on the door of k-rock um and if like he like and if you had a demo of your song and he liked it he'd play it like within an hour right uh which is crazy and uh, i guess like agent orange right yeah with bloodstains yeah yeah oh, wow. so like uh for him he really sort of embraced that um sound that like had emotional appeal to teenagers um and i think really like captures it really well uh, on this album i mean 
you know that first song bloodstains like <laughs> it's you right in the fucking gut man like yeah it has that motoric, <laughs> it has that motoric beat that we were talking about yeah absolutely <laughs> throw back to our crowd rock series up yeah, on your, in your podcast foods yeah um <laughs> here's a quote from david bow if you don't mind me please uh alone in la ronnie seemed like a island of english nowness he even knew british singles and bands that i wasn't aware of <laughs> ronnie single-handedly cut a path through the triacal theatrical of the triacle i don't know that, what that word is of the 60s allowing us all advance to parade our sounds of tomorrow dressed in clothes of derision david <laughs> is a smart guy he uses a lot of interesting words yeah <laughs> yeah but, yeah could you imagine like david Bowie's just giving you props but yeah this totally compilation nice. is interesting because it's the first one and it's it's 80 so he's yeah. already gotten his crew you know everybody yeah he's been doing this for like four years already at this point so yeah he got his first show on k-rock when the 70 70 76 yeah Yeah. 22nd 1976 so yeah a few years later he's making a compilation working with with labels and whatnot put together unheard bands right Mm -hmm. it was like the way we're going to talk about discovery compilations I don't know if you want to talk about that now, but sure. Compilations was like the way people did it. Compilations mm-hmm. were a variety of various artists that, you know, it wasn't like a conceptual, it was maybe conceptual, but it could be just kind of random tracks that you want to make for your friend. Yeah. I mean, this is like very much to me like, oh, when I used to, uh record green day off of the radio when i was like 10 yeah. like that's yeah. what that's what this album reminds me of yeah. um both that like all these songs that he was playing but like you know you didn't have a means to go out and listen to them unless you were at the shows buying the records and but they needed to buy like you know 12 individual records whatever as or opposed what, to this yeah or if you missed the show or whatever it, which, which was so interesting because uh he did it he, he partnered with the fanzine what was the fanzine Oh yeah. Side. He partnered with this uh fanzine, punk fanzine, yeah. Lip side that started in 1977. And this was this compilation was paired with uh, an issue of that zine. Yeah. It was issue number twenty-one. And uh let's see what does what do they say? Uh the insert includes the bands of each volume, music, tracks, and lyrics, including pictures and interviews gathered by Flipside. Yeah. So like this was like the liner notes of the the compilation was in the zine, mm-hmm. so it was which like is really interesting. Multimedia, yeah, <laughs> is which is like multimedia, but it also completely embraces that like sort of DIY punk, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, for sort sure. of nature of how people were doing things. They were creating yeah. zines. They were putting out their own records, yeah. um, like Metallica, right? You yeah, know. just like just like Metallica. <laughs> 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 fun fun fact about the fanzine uh flip side if you look on discogs and like try to buy this record uh, the vinyl oh yeah a bunch of them don't have the flip side ones but the ones that do are like over a hundred dollars <laughs> yeah the fan, i looked on I looked, I looked on the ebay and the fanzine alone is three hundred dollars what <laughs> jesus christmas that's nuts yeah, it's 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 our infatuation with materialistic things yeah yeah totally oh, um i have a i have weird. a quote from one of his uh, fellow DJs um, at K-Rock. And he said, uh, Rodney's always had his ears tuned to the future. Uh, 
she says more than anyone he was the architect of the iconic k-rock sound uh no one was as married to the music as rodney was he was responsible for so many acts that wouldn't have gotten broken otherwise yeah it's it's wild because this quote from the guardian also says he, he was like a kingmaker of new artists yeah uh if you make it into k-rock in america you made it in america and pretty <laughs> much he was like the godhead of k-rock like godhead <laughs> yeah he, he he dipped out but he's i think he's with xm and stuff now but like they didn't want to supposedly based on uh roger ebert or uh or somebody like that they said that what did what did Ro- yeah roger ebert quoted was quoted saying the film critic yes really? the film critic yeah quoted huh. i think k-rock was afraid to fire him because he was the soul of k-rock huh yeah dude well he eventually was like pretty much fired uh yeah but he got he was like he had like the 12 to 3 a.m slot right yeah yeah so this is this is the golden age one of the golden ages of like the post golden age of like radio yeah who can actually like have influence on what you listen to because i don't know that was the the original streaming yeah i mean you had no (laughs) you had no other means to do anything else right like that's just like all it was you either bought records or you went to concerts or you listened to radio right right so yeah i mean he had the show on k-rock until like 2007 or something like that like he had it for like i don't know 40 years almost 30 years let me ask you something um the compilation the track listings like do you think it was um ordered personally in your own preference the way it should be ordered or hmm, that's interesting you think about like the ordering of the tracks because obviously there's track numbers one through whatever but yeah whenever you put out an album you always think about the flow and whatnot like, yeah what that's a good do? question i mean i think it's i actually i like the flow of it i think um you know that song we listened to the outback by rico rick is like kind of weird a little slower at first and that's right in the middle of the record yeah, but you, like you know, that has no values by Black Flag, which is fucking heavy. Right. So, like, <laughs> it really, the first half of the album really, like, if you don't know the bands on the second half of the album, I think, you know, having the adolescence, having Agent Orange, having Circle Jerks and Black Flag, like, I think that, like, grips you in and being like, oh, right. shit, well, I guess I'm going to listen to the rest of this. <laughs> yeah. So, it, I, I think it's cool. And a lot of these artists, you said, I, I remember you saying, like, some of these bands are not even non existent. Yeah, you. I like can't find some stuff about some of these other bands. <laughs> yeah, and there were just bands that were just around the, around at that time. So the what my next question is like, I wonder how all the publishing worked out because obviously like all these bands that are on here like they're still like avant garde, kind of under the radar, not your mainstream. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, well, Posh Boy Records, that the comp was released on, uh, Hollywood, California based uh, record label. Um, the person who founded it took an interest in the emerging punk scene in Orange County in the seventies. Um, and obviously like a lot of his bands that were on Posh Boy were, were enjoying radio play on Rodney's show. So, um, some of them were not all of these bands were Posh Boy bands, but some of them were. So you ended up like having uh, a lot of them sort of feature on here. Um, um, should we save the comments for the last segment or should I read yeah. now and then read some more later? Um, well, let's play one more track. 
and then we'll we'll hear a couple comments and uh preview our next show and we can go talk from about there. something else yeah no let's do it All right. um so the last song we're going to listen to of rodney on the rock uh volume one is uh surprise by the band new york and you might recognize this one set the house on fire she was like that i'll never forget the look on my father's face as he dragged me out of the building and onto the pavement and i stood there shivering in my pajamas and watched the whole world go up in flames and when it was all over i said to myself is that all there is to a fire is that all there is I was really excited And there were bored-looking bankers Dancing with beautiful models And there were boys with dyed hair And spandex t-shirts Dancing with each other And as I sat there watching I felt that something was missing I don't know what But when I hit home I said to myself Is that all there is to a disco? Is that all there is? wonderful boy in Manhattan. We take long walks down by the river and he beat me black and blue and I loved it. I'd have killed for that guy. But then one day James went away. I thought I'd die. But I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? back into tnt unsung uh, hero man i know isn't that song great <laughs> yeah dude the reason why that song might sound familiar to some folks uh it's a it's like a loose cover i'd say of uh the 1969 peggy lee song is that all there is 
um same sort of melody and refrain but obviously the lyrics are a little different <laughs> <laughs> this compilation is uh i don't know i i just imagine his life at that time being like one huge fucking orgy party <laughs> <laughs> and then like with all the vips with all the musicians all the actors yeah stuff and then like just non-stop fucking making radio compilations and stuff with friends yeah yeah no absolutely you can go on, uh, <laughs> Hanging on vip yeah you know no, totally um you said you had some quotes uh some of the comments right, about yeah. this album um, i'd love i'd love to hear some uh i guess this one is from armando j sanchez this was posted four years ago a side a side of this record is great b side is not great guess you have to be there for those <laughs> um, i disagree uh Wish I knew what happened to my copy. Oh wait, I sold it for drugs. <laughs> so did the previous owner. <laughs> um, there was like this whole big thing about who was on the cover and who wasn't on the cover, but uh, like who that woman was. Yeah. Huh. Um, epic days. They were new music exploding everywhere. Heard this album for the first time in high school while flipping burgers at there's there's Wiener Schnitzel life. As I knew it would never be the same again. I was Dan Playfum. I don't know. It's crazy because like that's just some of the comments off the YouTube. You can listen to it on YouTube. That's where we listen to it. But yeah. the Boston Globe wrote, he was at the present of nearly every major interval and in evolution of rock and roll. And was described as being relatively unknown outside of LA. Yeah, I could see that. An unsung hero in a sense. Yeah, I didn't know about him until now. You know? No, no, absolutely not. Like, There's some like really other funny <laughs> comments. I'm looking at them now on the YouTube was, video. Yeah, he was like that generation's Dick Clark. That's what somebody said or something. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> uh, you know, in the documentary, some people like called him like the LA version of Andy Warhol. Yeah, both in their like seamless sort of involvement in those scenes, and yeah. also in their demeanor and their stature and sort of just like overall weirdness. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of parallels. He knew Andy Warhol. Yeah, they hung yeah. out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah totally there's a photo of Andy Warhol and him he got an Andy Warhol birthday card sent to his mom <laughs> so crazy you know like that. you get to this it, but the funny thing is he's not famous he's like famous he knows all the fame and the celebs but he's not like famous no, no. he's like famous like in a weird no, well known in a weird recognized in a weird, really interesting way and i think they had like a psychologist or historian or author or somebody talk about like fame and celebrity and like why people want to be around this and i don't know it, for according to the documentary they said it was like the personality of like this idolization of like perfectness hmm. that you wish or the person viewing right to be and just wanted to like it's kind of like if you if you saw buddha or you practice yoga or something like that and you just want to be in the same room as like this enlightened person or something like that right. <laughs> this is the opposite end of that but you know yeah it's yeah. just like he was he had his hands in mix in like everybody's conversations like, absolutely and i would like Jimi hendrix and like crazy like yeah and this is like you know this is 1980 this is the 70s and the 80s and the 90s largely before the instant sort of communication technology that exists today 
So it's like you yeah. couldn't just like get a text and be like, oh shit, Agent Orange is playing a show at this like warehouse or whatever. Like, yeah, you couldn't just like figure that out like so yeah. seamlessly. So you really had to like have your nose to the ground and yeah, like really like be in those circles to yeah. to sort of hear the oh this thing's happening. You know, you should be there. He must have been out every night. That lifestyle. honestly, like, he must have been out every night till like two o'clock in the morning and then afters and then like work the next day and then doing it all over again it's crazy doing it to in search of like new music right great music and yeah to help people find new music that's that's the cool thing for so long Mm -hmm. right the consistency for so long yeah amazing yeah it's, it's absolutely nuts um anything else to add about this album before we talk about what's going on next month um I don't know. It says like politics and music. I guess we talked about that. Uh, reception. We we talked about that. So it's just one of those times that we can't really experience again. But by listening to this album, you might get the idea. The documentary is really well put together. It's a little dark at times, but yeah, it's a little. It's or, kind of a strange. Yeah, I, don't, I actually don't really love like how it's the story right. is told, but like right. it is an right. interesting look right. into like his his life. Yeah, for sure. It's actually of, on, on YouTube for free. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like uh, Bill Cunningham. Kind of like a Bill Cunningham. If you ever saw Bill Cunningham, the photographer, right. they kind of right. see in that way too. But That's interesting. The, the people that he knows and like interacts with and has conversations with and has freedom of like, he's he's like a shapeshifter. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Circles. Yeah. Hierarchy. Absolutely. Yeah. I won't get into all of what was happening in music in 1980 uh, nationwide, but the number one song of 1980, according to the Billboard charts, was Call Me by Blondie. So I think, you know, one could draw the lines from Rodney helping to break uh, Blondie in LA to that song going, you know, number one nationwide on the Billboard charts. So it, it's kind of a, a fun coincidence in that, in that regard. Um, also, apparently, that song was produced by Giorgio Moroder, which I didn't realize. Just nuts. Oh, really? Which yeah. Isn't that crazy? It? Which song was it? Call Me by Blondie. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was produced by him. He I had no idea. Blondie. It's so crazy. He played in Blondie. There's footage of him playing guitar in Blondie. Shit. That's a whole other episode. We, we, we didn't even talk about <laughs> how he, yeah, you said he was a double. He like auditioned for like the monkeys to be part of the monkeys, but he got, you know, he got passed over, but he ended up being a body double. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, <Dave> Jones. <laughs> yeah, he, he he was just. I don't see him as like a sex symbol or a sex icon, and, and but I think his personality is very like clear. Yeah, yeah, totally. Gravitated <laughs> towards him. Um, so that wraps our first part of our two-part series on compilation albums and discovery. Uh, next month, we're going to be talking about. Uh, Daddy G uh, from Massive Attacks, DJ Kicks. It's another version of what we call compilation and maybe discovery. That's right. So uh, please, if you would like to join us, uh, that one will be on our podcast feed, TNT Radio NYC. Uh, you can get that on Apple, get on Spotify, all those shitty corporations. Um, what's not a shitty corporation is Montez press radio. And we would like to thank Montez press for having us back yet again. Live, uh, live, <laughs> live on the radio. In fact, we're actually live, not pre-recorded. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, other cool things happening 
Uh, Ton has a new record out. Tell us about that. New record is out. It's been out digital only. The vinyl's coming out hopefully at the end of August because we're in the back backed up pressing. But it's uh, a six track album that I wrote during the pandemic. And it's electronic music. So you could look it up. T dot N G U Y E N. Check it out on Spotify and all the places. Yeah. Um, our last series that we did is on your podcast feeds. Everything from this season or prior seasons is, are all on those feeds. Uh, our last series was about Krot Rock. Uh, we talked about the bands Can and Noi. Um, not jam bands, but had me had me worried for a little bit. So we're <laughs> uh, thankful that those episodes are up. Um, please continue to listen to Montez Press Radio. Donate to them. Uh, also, I would encourage you, TNT encourages you to donate to your local abortion funds. Uh, this country and is... Any funds creating equality and and whatnot. Absolutely. This country is backsliding. Uh, so let's <laughs> do what we can to help our, our fellow people out. Uh, abortionfunds.org is the website for the National Network of Abortion Funds. Uh, and you can find your local abortion fund on there. Um, so we'll turn it up for the final seconds uh, on the track. Uh, let's see what track is currently playing right now. Uh, right Time by The Crowd is playing. And we want to thank you for having us. And we'll see you next month. Thank you.